Mike asked me to come preach for him, and I was so pleased, uh, partly because just to be a part of Atascacita, and partly because um, of this day, of this day, Commitment Sunday, the stewardship program. I believe so strongly in this. I believe so strongly in this. Uh, partly, of course, because unless this church does, has great givers, it can't do great things for its own members, for the world, and this world needs great things right now. Amen? Amen. We live in a world desperate for in its need in so many ways. Physical, of course, but emotional, spiritual, all kinds of ways. But also because underneath everything else, when we talk about commitment, uh, is another issue. When we talk about money, there's another issue, and that, that I really kind of want to bring into focus this morning that has a lot more to do with our hearts than anything out there. I want to invite you to go home this afternoon and crack open your Bible and look at 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. And I'm going to tell it to you now, the story, but I want you to crack open your Bible and spend a little time looking at it. And you can do that. You can do that. I don't know who you might be watching. You know, Texans, Cowboys. I tell you, they're both going to lose. They're just going to lose. You know, it's okay. It's okay. You know, we, we, we're from Houston. We're used to suffering. And um, uh, crack open your Bible, take some time with this, and, and think about it, pray about it, talk about it with those you care about. Uh, the, the prophet Elijah, this mighty man of God, has been in Israel taking on King Ahab and Queen Jezebel and criticizing them, speaking truth to power and calling them down for their immorality, their oppression of the poor, their personal unrighteousness, their political unrighteousness. They're worshiping of false gods. And then God says to him, it's time to get out of here. You need to get out of Israel. You need to find a place of safety for a while. And so Elijah goes on a journey, and then God says to him, I want you to go to Zarephath. And in Zarephath, you're going to find a widow. And in that, with that widow, you can live and be safe and renew yourself so that you can come back in ministry and do the things I want you to do. So Elijah went to Zarephath, and when he got there, there was famine throughout the land, and there he found the widow, and there was the widow. She had one son, and they were dying of hunger from the famine. And she had just enough meal and just enough oil to make herself one last meal. She was going to fix that meal, and then she and her son were going to lie down to die. And seeing this destitute widow with just enough food for her and her son to have one last meal and to lie down and die, the prophet Elijah came walking up, and this mighty man of God said, well, before you do, make me a little cake first. It sounds horrible. It sounds horrible. It sounds cruel. It sounds selfish. It sounds merciless. What? This woman's going to have one last meal and then die? And what does mighty man of God do? He says, make me a little cake first. But then Elijah goes on, and he explains to her that he wants her to do that. Because as she does, as she puts, even with her negative situation, even with everything pressing down on her, and she puts God and the messenger of God first and includes the work of God and what little she has. 
She will open her life to a blessing that God wants to give her. And that's the theme I want to bring to you, the surface of your mind this morning. That when you begin to put God first in everything you are, and a major place to start is in what you own. And what you own, begin to put God first there in your giving, in the money you got, that sort of thing. You open your life to a blessing you can find in no other way. Now, before I go any further, I need to be clear. I do not believe in prosperity theology. Prosperity theology. Do y'all know what that is? You can hear it on television at times. You can hear it on the radio. You can crack open books, and they'll teach you prosperity theology. Prosperity theology is you give in order to get. You need something, you give a big enough gift, and God's going to give you what you want. God's going to give you what you think you need. You just give that amount, and hey, here it comes. Here it comes. I don't believe in that. First, because it teaches wrong motivation. That's selfishness disguised as giving, and God never blesses selfishness. And second, because it teaches the wrong image of God. The picture it gives is of God as a giant cosmic vending machine. You put in the right coins, and you get back what you want. Like you put in the coins at a Coke machine, you get a Coke back. That's the wrong image. And also, I don't believe in it because people who preach it don't believe in it either. I got a letter a while back to help prompt this sermon. I got a letter a while back, and it, and it said, we've been praying about it, and we believe in God, and we know you believe in God, and we want the best for you. So if you will send $100 to this ministry, we know that God will send you a 1000 hmm? That's a pretty good deal when you think about it. Send 100 get a 1000 so I thought about it for a little bit, and then I wrote them back. And I said, I appreciate so much this wonderful offer. And because I believe in the good you are doing, I want to ask you to send me $100. Send me $100, and then I know God will give you 1000 I have yet to hear from them. I keep waiting. I keep looking for that $100. People who preach prosperity theology you don't really believe it it's a bunch of hogwash but I want to tell you what I do believe I believe in obedience theology obedience theology that as we align our lives with God and we don't try to get him to do what we want but rather we seek by growing in his word in his scripture by growing in his sacrament by growing in the church by learning to listen to his guidance in our prayers as we grow in him and seek to keep him central to our lives and seek to do what he wants give what he wants be what he wants we allow him to move into a central position in our life and where God is, miracles flow. They just do. Where God is, blessing comes for us, for those we care about, for all those he could bless through us. In ways we cannot anticipate now, blessing will come. The problem is, that this is so hard to do because we tend to get trapped by what we can see. We tend to get trapped by what we can see. 
I mean, God is invisible. God is spiritual. You know, we hear all the words. We say, yeah, I want to trust him. But then we get trapped by what we can hold in our hands, what we have in the bag, what we have around us, the roof over our heads, what we wear in the morning, what we drive. And it is so real. It is so tangible. And before you know it, before you know it, we are looking to what we have to define how we feel about ourselves. We're looking to what we have in the bank to define what we're worth. We're looking to, looking to, you know, what we can hold in our hands to feel secure about the future and feel secure about today. And what do I have to meet today with? It's whatever is real to me that I can hold in my hands. And that is so terribly dangerous, my friends, and we're all vulnerable to it, but it is so terribly dangerous because when I once fall into that trap, I am in effect focusing on that which I can hold in my hands and turning away from the one who is in fact the author of my being. I'm turning toward all the here that is and that is so real and turning away from the only one who will truly last, the God who gave me and who will receive me while everything else turns to dust. It's an unconscious move. It's very subtle, but it's very real. Very real. And you know what? You know you've fallen into this trap if you're with a group or you hear a speaker or something whose question comes up, what are you worth right now? Let me ask you. Don't answer out loud, but just answer in your heart. What are you worth? If the first answer that comes into your mind is what you got in the bank, where you are in life, what kind of roof you got over your head? What other people think of you? The first answer that comes into your mind is where you are in life, what you can hold in your hands, what you can see, where you are in this world. To that extent, you are trapped. Do you know the only appropriate answer to the question, what are you worth? The only appropriate answer, if you don't hear anything else in this message, you hear this. The only appropriate answer to the question, what are you worth, is appearances all to the contrary. I am worth the death of the Son of God. And so are you. And so is every person you will ever lock eyes with. And to the extent that you have any other immediate reaction to the question than that you are worth the death of the Son of God, to the extent that you have any other answer to that immediately come into your mind, to that extent an inadequate answer is driving your life. And if you don't watch out, it will drive you into anxiety and despair When J.D. Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller was one of the richest men on earth. Some people said he was the richest man on earth. John D. Rockefeller was asked, when do you have all that you need? When do you have all that you need? They asked this of the rich, one of the richest men on earth. He said, when you have just a little bit more, 
Everybody laughed. But then so many of them, after the interview was over and they started thinking about it and talking about it, said, what an absolutely terrible way to live. It's so true. We, so many of us live with that in such an ongoing way. And yet, if the goal, the sense of security comes only when you have a little bit more, there will always be a little bit more. And a little bit after that. Which means that if you are once stuck on that treadmill, you are stuck living your life, always trying to get that which you cannot finally hold on to, that which you cannot finally keep, and you are then setting yourself on a course to anxiety and despair. Low level, baby, but constant and eroding everything else in your life, your peace, your freedom, your joy, your best self. And if you look around at our culture with open eyes, and frankly, if you look at your own heart with a courageous eye, you'll see so many living driven by that anxiety and despair. Because this is all you've got. It's not enough. That's why Calvin Miller wrote in these beautiful, beautiful words, the world is poor because her treasure maps are all of the earth. X marks the spot, and her treasure is in the sky. This is the choice that's being given, that, 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 that dear lady in 1 Kings 17, the widow of Zarephath, being asked to say, do you, uh, you know, make me a little cake first? looking at all the little bit she had and then the God coming in saying, make me a little cake first. And we can imagine how much it had torn at her, how much it, much it must have hurt her, how much it must have torn at her, but she chose the invisible over the visible, the spiritual over the material. She chose her treasure in heaven over the transient treasure she had on earth. And she invited the prophet into her home. And she fixed that last meal and she shared some with the prophet. And in ways that we can't even begin to understand, that little bit she had became not only enough but more than enough because for the next months, while the famine still lasted, she her son and the prophet all ate at her table, everybody having enough. Can we understand how that was now? We can't even begin to understand all the ways God will work in our lives when we begin to step forward in every dimension of our lives, starting with what we can see and what we have. But he will. And things will work together in ways we could never have imagined to not just bless us, but bless others through us. This is the point, my friends, of the tithe, of the tithe, by the way. In Deuteronomy 14, 
that explains why the tithe was given. This is, this is, this is you know, kind of supported throughout the Scriptures. This is not supported. This is emphasized throughout the Scriptures. This is emphasized by the ancient Jews, the early Christians. But it's, it's, it really kind of sets it out in Deuteronomy 14 in a very clear way. The tithe is about acknowledging God's ownership of our lives. God's ownership of our lives. In the ancient world, only a few people actually owned land. The rest were tenants. And the tenant farmers would work the land, but somebody else owned it. And then when, the, when, when all the, the crops came in, they sold them for profit, uh, the tenant kept 10% of the profit. The owner kept 90%. Sounds harsh, doesn't it? Owner keeping 90%. But the owner owned everything. The tenant was just kind of working the land that wasn't his. And that's how it worked. The owner owned 90%. The owner owned 100%, kept 90. Tenant owned nothing, kept 10. Well, God wants you to remember that 90-10 split. God wants you never to forget that 90-10 split. Because whenever you think of it, God wants you to remember that he is the owner with ultimate title to your life. You did not ask to be born. You did nothing to deserve the right. I know you've worked hard, and you've achieved, and you've succeeded, and you've got great things going on, and you're giving your very best, but you know what? God created you. God gave you the opportunities, and when it's time, it's time for you to go home, you will not go home to yourself. You'll go home to Him. You are the tenant working the life on the planet He has loaned you. And as the owner, he can ask for anything. In his mercy, he has reversed the numbers. You own nothing, you keep 90%. He owns everything, he asks for 10%. And he wants you to remember that so that whenever you give that 10%, you will remember that you do not belong to this earth, you belong to heaven. My friends, there are many reasons we give. Y'all have heard so many of them, and they're all true. To help the needy, to support the church, to reach out in ministries to the members and the non-members in amazing and wonderful ways. There's so many reasons we give, and unless people give in great ways, this church cannot do the great things I believe this world needs of it. But the number one, the deepest reason we give is that when you tithe and give generously, you are declaring to the world and to your heart that you know your owner. And that means that whatever happens and whatever you face, whether we've got a lot or a little, whether you get COVID tomorrow and they can't treat you like they have Mike, or whether you never get COVID at all, whether you live 100 years or whether you live not a hundred days. Whatever happens to you, you, as you face it, you can say, I stand in the power of God. And his promise is, and his promise is true, he will see you through. That's what it's about. Declaring that you know who owns you and that you have been bought with a price.
and that you are not ashamed of your owner. And there is enormous power in that. My wife and I first discovered the power of, of this, uh, of, of putting God first in every element, including our giving, even when we didn't see how things were going to work out. Our first year in seminary, we were, you know, students in Texas. We, we grew up in Texas. We met in college. Went off to Yale Divinity School from a seminary work. And my first year, uh, on a Thursday night, the end of my first year, on a Thursday night, we got letters in the mail. I'd been at school uh, working on my, my master's in divinity. Karen was, I had a job at Yale, at Yale uh, Medical School. I was working on my master's in divinity at Yale. She was getting her PhD at Yale, which is putting hubby through. Putting hubby through. So we got home that night. I'd been at this class in the library all day. She had been working all day. We opened the mail, and there were a bunch of letters. And the first letter was from the apartment saying that our rent was going up. And this is going to be a problem because, you see, we were, we were just starting out. We were students. We had her salary coming in, and I was making a little bit on the side, uh, doing odd jobs. And she, she basically... Uh, uh, her, her income was just enough to cover the apartment rent, the tuition, and pay for food most days. We didn't eat well all days, but most days we ate, we pretty, we ate pretty well. Her, but her salary was just enough to cover all that. And there's the first letter saying apartment rent's going up. Then the second letter said tuition is going up. Third letter said that her salary was being held flat. It was not going up. And we just threw up our hands. We said, what are we going to do? We were horrified. Our money wouldn't stretch that far. Rent, tuition, salary not going up. Which way do we turn? We, thought, we, we stayed up late that night trying to figure out, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We prayed about it. We said, God, we need help. God, we need guidance. God, we need an answer. And, and, and the next day we did hear, we heard from the church. That next day we got home and there was an envelope in the church sitting on, you know, we picked up at the mailbox, we broke, took it in, we ripped it open, and it was our pledge card. And that's why I've always been able to identify with the widow of Zarephath, okay? You know, God, give me food, give me food. And here comes the prophet, make me a little cake first. God, help us out. Help us out. You know, what, what are we, we going to do here? And, 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 hey, fill out a pledge card. But what were we going to do? I mean, we were Christian. We knew what we were supposed to do. And so we knew what Karen's salary was going to be next year because, I mean, it wasn't going up. And we were supposed to fill out and pledge card and put down our tithe and and we didn't know what to do. We prayed about it. We agonized. Finally, that night, late that night, we put down our pledge to mail back into our church back home here in Texas. And by the way, I, if you don't understand tithe, tithe is 10%. And now, people will play games with this. I preached downtown, had some really sharp people in the congregation. I bet some of you all are really sharp. And I had some guys who once came up to me, and they, they were talking to me. They were in a coffee club, and they and they said nice things about my preaching, but then they said, but now there's stuff on tithing. She, they said, now look, 
Here's, and they, these were guys that all knew how to work a sharp pencil. All knew how to work a sharp pencil. And they could take a sharp pencil to their salary. Drove late model cars. Nice big house. Fancy clothes. Great vacations. They could make their salary look like nothing. You know what I'm talking about? What do I owe in taxes? Nothing. What do I know God? Nothing. You know, it just, they could take that. They could whittle it down. And they said, now, now Dr. Wendy, what do, you, what do you think about all this? And I just looked at him. I said, well, if you want God to take that same sharp pencil to your life at the end of your life, I think you should keep doing what you're doing. They suddenly got real serious. Next year, their giving jumped up. You know what 10% is. If you don't, this church has a great youth program. There's a sixth grader in this church who can show you how decimals work. We'll just get you connected with that sixth grader. You put down your salary. That sixth grader will show you how you move the decimal. There it is. Really simple. God wants you to remember 90-10. Owner, tenant. We filled out the pledge card. Hardest thing, I think the hardest thing I've ever done is to make that walk to the mailbox. I was on my way to the library, had to get a book for a paper I was writing, and I was going to drop the letter off on the way, and it kept getting heavier and heavier and heavier, and I did not want to go. I did not want to go. And I kept arguing with God, and I kept worrying, and I kept trying to figure out what we were going to do. Finally, I got to the mailbox, took everything I had, but I'll never forget opening that mailbox, slipping in the envelope and the mailbox slapping, slamming shut with that clanging noise they make. And, and all of a sudden, in a way I could not understand, my heart felt lighter. It felt lighter. It felt like I'd been carrying a weight, and suddenly it was released. And as I walked away from the mailbox and walked on over toward the library to get the book I needed, I couldn't explain it. It was weird. I'd never had this experience before, but it was as if in the back of my heart I heard cheering, cheering almost as if they were, was cheering in heaven, almost as if they were angels cheering, cheering for me as if I had been in some great spiritual battle and won a victory I had not even known I needed to win. Got to the library, Still hearing that laughter, still feeling light, thinking, well, I'm poor. I might as well be crazy too, you know. Here we go. I guess I'm losing my mind. Went walking into the library, went looking for that book. I found the book. I reached up to get it just as I grabbed that book that I needed. Another hand grabbed it at the same time. I looked over. There was a guy next to me. He was holding that same book I was holding, and neither one of us let go. Now, you see, I was training to be a pastor, okay? This is a Christian seminary. In a Christian seminary, you are supposed to act Christian, okay? But it's also a graduate school. And so there we were. We both needed the book. We were supposed to act Christian. And so we both smiled, but neither let go of the book. We just kind of pulled it down and we said, and what do you do? Well, that's what we did too. It's awkward. We just tried to be nice. Hi, it seems we want the same book. How are you? I hope you're having a good day. I really need that book, and so do I. And we started kind of talking like that, and then suddenly we realized, remember, Yale is in Connecticut. We both had an accent. 
we realized we were both from Texas. We started talking about that. We discovered we were both Methodists. We were both Texas Methodists. The conversation got more relaxed. We started talking about home. And then he stopped. And he said, you know what? I like the way you present yourself. I've got a great job, a cream puff of a job. It's for a church 30 minutes north of town, a real easy drive. And uh, they give me a free place to stay. My wife and I stay in a free apartment there. I do the youth, group, youth ministry, but it's a small church, so there's not much to do. And they give me a nice salary. Would you be interested in that job? Would you like the book? <laughs> I can be gracious. Occasionally, I can be gracious. He was graduating senior. I was, in, I was just ending my first year. He was leaving, going back to Texas. Uh, and and he, w w would you like me to lift you up for that job? I said, absolutely, I would like you to lift me up for that job. Three days later, I had the job. Three days later, I had the job. Free place to say, salary we had never had coming in before like that. And working with a wonderful church who, who grew us up in a way we hadn't even known we needed to grow. And we hadn't seen any of it coming. We went from negative to positive in terms of cash flow. And I, 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 you know, and I got another book. You can always get another book. I got another book I could use. Found that other book. Went home to write that paper. And, and as I was walking out of the library with that other book to write my paper, excited because of what God might be doing in our lives that we never could have imagined him doing. You know what happened? I heard, I remember those, those voices I heard cheering for me earlier. It sounded almost like they were from heaven. Heard those same voices again. So I was going down the library steps, heading back to the apartment. Heard those same voices again, only this time they were laughing. Laughing with joy. And it was almost as if I could hear God saying, Now, now, can you learn to trust me? Friends, I want to tell you something. If you are not yet tithing, start. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. Ask God to give you a number. God to give you a percentage. Be honest about what you're going to do with that percentage. Like God will answer. God will give you a percentage. He'll put it on your heart. And then let that percentage be reflected in your pledge and your covenant with the church. And then ask God to grow you from there, and he will. And you'll be amazed at what he begins to do in your life. Not because he didn't want to help before, but because you are letting him. And the blessing will not just be for you, but for how you interact with others and the blessing you can bring with others. For families, for families, please remember, one of the worst things about living in modern America is the materialistic swamp you are having to grow your children up in. And there are so many voices in this world telling them who they are, what to wear, what they ought to have, and if they don't have, and if they don't wear, and if they are not that thing, then all of a sudden they are nothing. And one of the biggest defenses you can give those kids against those voices is to teach them to handle money God's way. 
And if you've been struggling and you know that you ought to be doing more, you're not being as generous as you ought to be, if you've been struggling with that for, for years and, and you're wondering about now and all this before us and all this world is facing, you know what? Why don't you surrender? Wouldn't it be fun to let God win today? What are you gaining by not letting him? It'd be the most joyous surrender you've ever had in your life. And for all of us here, all of us, my friends, let's remember, make me a little cake first. When you put God first in what you own, in a very strong and strategic way, you are putting him first in your life. And as you put him first in your life, suddenly he opened the door to let him bless you. And your finances, of course, but in so many other ways as well. But looking back on it, my wife and I agree that the greatest blessing of that experience as youth director in that paid apartment with that church was the church, not the money. They grew us up in so many ways we had not known we needed to grow. But that's how God works. Trust Him. For that's what this day is about. And this week is about. As you fill out cards and turn them in today, or as you do so as the week comes along, it's about trust. And I invite you right now to let it be a decision of joy, joy. And to fill out a card that declares to the world and your own heart that you know what you're worth. You know who owns you. And you are not ashamed of your owner. Heavenly Father, pour out a whole, a double portion of your Holy Spirit upon this great church. They're such a powerful witness for you, such a powerful beacon of light and hope and help and joy. Right now, for all who claim this church is home, and for all who might be worshiping with us who have not yet claimed it at home, Lord, you claim them, claim each of them, and empower them and give them the self-awareness in the sense to make decisions that draw you close. And then, Lord, as you live closely in their lives, I ask that you give blessing in the name and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.